Hi everyone, my name's Johnny Scott and I'd like to welcome you to Phoenix On Demand, or POD as we like to call it. This is episode one, season two in our series of podcasts where we will look to help educate and hopefully entertain you on all things IT. So, as we have all now seen, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, Rishi Sunak, presented his spending review for 2020 to Parliament on Wednesday, the 25th of November 2020. While there were many announcements, such as billions of funding for COVID-19 support for next year and £100 billion in capital spending to drive the UK's recovery and support jobs, it was the increase in funding to deliver stronger public services that we wanted to take a look at. So to look at this and how the people and technology will be key to these changes, we're joined by Charlotte Hennigan, Enterprise Channel Manager for Central Government at Microsoft, Aaron Pryor, Industry Executive at Microsoft, and Keith Martin, who is the Sales Director here at Phoenix. So hi, guys. Hi. How are you all doing? I'm good, Johnny. Happy New Year to you. Yeah, happy new year. Um, glad glad to have you with us on our uh, first episode of season two. Um, so can we start by giving the listeners a bit of uh, background on you and your experience within the industry and your current roles within the industry? So if we start with you, Charlotte, please. Yeah, absolutely. Hi, Johnny. So um, Charlotte Hennigan, as you mentioned, I'm the Enterprise Channel Manager uh, here at Microsoft, uh, working across our central government customers. Uh, I've been in this role for just over a year now, uh, but been with Microsoft for seven years in in various roles, working with our partner uh, teams. Um, Prior to that, came actually from the partner environment, working directly with our customers. Really, to give context, um, my role supports our central government customers, uh, and that's central government customers at a ministerial level. Um, So we're talking about the likes of HMRC, DFE, etc., and really helping them build engagements and relationships with our partner community as Microsoft's very much partner first. Great. Glad to have you with us again, Charlotte. And uh, Aaron, over to you, please. Hi, Johnny. Great to be here again. Happy New Year and all that. Um, yeah, I'm Aaron Pryor. I'm the industry executive for central government. Um, so like Charlotte, I work across um, all of our central government customers um, and act as kind of the interface point for sort of strategy and policy and helping both Microsoft and its partners understand what that means. Um, I've been at Microsoft now for almost two years. We're nearly at the two year line after um, 25 years in the civil service. Um, and within the, my sort of civil service role, I was into strategy and policy there. Um, working on things such as um, equality and accessibility, uh, particularly the creation of both the versions of the Equality Act. Um, and in my, with my spending review head on, I've been involved um, in those roles in the spending reviews and their outcomes since way back in 2007 when we created the first comprehensive spending review. Great. Thanks for the intro, Aaron. And uh, Keith, over to you, please. Uh, thanks, Johnny. Um, yeah, Happy New Year again. Um, for to Keith Martin, Sales Director at Phoenix. Um, I've been uh, Phoenix for what is a staggering 19 years now, I think it is. Um, and across and during that time, uh, straddling all um, aspects of public sector. So more recently, when I think about our, our customers, be it central gov, local gov, NHS, you know, police, blue light, charities, housing and, and, and edu, it's really interesting to see um, how spending impacts those, actually how the knock-on from spending in one area can affect another area and working with those sort of customers or sometimes at a regional level to really try and help them 
deal with the challenges they're facing over COVID, but also look forward at how they, they can build a better future for the citizens that they serve. Great. Thanks for the introductions, guys. Um, so we'll, we'll get straight into the questions. Um, I'll ask them to the floor, so feel free to dive in and discuss any of the points raised by me or anyone else. So can we start by by stripping all of this back and you know asking what is the what actually is the, the public spending review? Oh, I feel like I'm going to jump in on that one, mate. That seems to be patient to me. Glad you said that, Aaron. So, Go on, over to you. <laughs> so, so spending reviews. Okay, so spending review is is the mechanism where um, all government departments, government entities um, get their, let, let's call it budget for simplicity, um, for a period in the future. Um, this can be anything from one to five years. Um, it, it's normally a three-year model with the potential for two additional years, we'd call overtime. Um, in there. Um, the last two spending reviews, so the one we're going to talk about today and the previous, the spending round, have been oddities because they've been focused around um, one year solely, but I'm sure we'll get to that later. But what a spending review does is it sets out, firstly, two important numbers. It's um, what you call CDEL, which is the Capital Departmental Expenditure Limit, it says in one breath, which is the amount of capital money um, a department's got, um, and something called Ardell, which is the resource departmental expenditure limit, which is their resource budget. Um, capital you traditionally spend on anything that's a one-off purchase, a one-off interaction. So a building, um, hardware, desks, you know, anything that you buy and you get an asset potentially out of it. Um, you can use capital for um, the year one cost of a project is something that lots of people often miss, but you can use it for a one-off instance transaction like that um, and the resource budget is everything else everything that's an ongoing it's expenditure heating lighting staffing um, rent um, licensing importantly from a technology point of view comes out of your resource budget the other thing we we expect normally in a spending review is is awards asks whereby um, government departments will say on top of that budget um, i also need 500 million pounds to get out my data centres or transform whatever it may be about their business. Um, and government might give them that additional award, the sum of money over the life of a spending review to, to achieve specific aims. Um, last time around with, with last year's budget, with last year's spending round, people didn't really get that mechanism. Um, so this year's spending review was looked forward to by a lot of people because it was the first time they could potentially access that ask money, that large scale project money. Um, but as we'll talk about when we get into the detail, you know, that hasn't really materialised this time either. Um, so it really is a case of people who have got the, the budgetary, the core budget ask they made only. Um, and I suppose the, the final thing for me on the spending review that's really important in its makeup is it's one of those sources of direction for the whole of government, right? It's one of the few papers or, or piece of, of government documentation that really commands all departments to act in a certain way. So it's very important from the point of view, it lays out things like reminders around accessibility and inclusion and how you have to apply the Equality Act. It sets out, particularly in this one, around the concepts of public value, getting value for the public purse in any interactions you do. Um, social value, actually, whenever you, you spend any money, how is it helping improve um, the local area, the employment market, education, skills, all of these you know, really important issues. 
Um, and lastly, really, it's, it, there's a bit of an emphasis this time around um, sustainability as well, um, and what that should look like going forward. Um, it, it did miss a few things. It, it wasn't it wasn't a perfect spending review um, in the terms of that a lot of its length was devoted to defending the government's spending position during COVID, which isn't really what the spending review should be used for. But I suppose government needed a vehicle to, to really justify what they've done over the last year. So that's kind of it in a nutshell, a really short nutshell. Wow, I was going to ask if anybody else has anything to add, but I think Aaron's covered it off quite well there. <laughs> Keith, Charlotte, anything to add? Or? I mean, I was just going to mean there's a few things in there we can probably dive into later on, Johnny. Um, you know, there, there's some things that really fit nicely into what we're seeing in the marketplace. You talk about the social value and sustainability piece, but I, I suggest we, we pick those up as a, as a separate topics. Is there anything you want to add, Charlotte? Or no, uh, you know, I'm not going to lie. I'm I'm leaving it to the expert here, Aaron. <laughs> in terms of, uh, I know I know he's uh, certainly gone through it with a fine tooth comb. So, um, yeah, I think um, an excellent explanation there for for all of our listeners. Great. So I picked up on something you said there, Aaron, regarding the the change from uh, the review being every three years to now every one year. What impact do we think that's going to have? I think the most obvious one will be it removes the ability for sort of the, the normal three year long term planning um, that government departments rely on so heavily. You know, they really are having to now live one year to the next. And this would have come as a partial surprise because last year's one year spending review was very much touted as a, a one off. You know, the government had to do this because of uncertainties around Brexit. Um, changes in, in government, all the rest of it. And, and it was deemed as, a, OK, we've done it this once, but that's that. So there was a lot of excitement around the fact that this year was going to be a full three-year spending review. It was going to give them all those mechanisms back for this upfront ask money that I mentioned. You know, it, it was all going to be good. There was promises around um, a big upturn in investment for all departments. So they were going to get a really large year one budget um, and then would be expected to do the normal savings for years two and three. And then, of course, this little event called COVID occurred, and that's obviously changed everything. You know, we've had unprecedented amount of, of government spending um, to, to tackle everything, to keep services running. And that money has to come from somewhere. You know, it's, it's not just sort of conjured up out of the air. You know, government has to take it from a pot. So there is a monetary reserve for government where all this, where any extra spend needs to be dug out of. So that hole has been dug, that monetary reserve hole has been now been dug very deep. So it would have kind of been, I think, irresponsible if the Chancellor had have stuck to the original plan and done a three-year spending review still. Because who knows now? We, we can't accurately predict what the state of the economy is going to be beyond the year. You know, if we can even achieve that, if we're honest. Um, so I think it was the right thing to do, one-year spending review. But the knock-on effect is going to be people are very much going to be looking at what can they do within that year to stay within a, a quite a tight budget? Let's be honest, although the, the Chancellor talked of this spending review in, in the most positive way possible around the amount of money the department's got, if we really look at the raw numbers, you know, very few people came out of this very well. Everybody really achieved the same budget that they already had for last year with maybe a little bit of overinflation top up, but nobody's swimming in gold this time round. 
So it's going to drive um, some very specific behaviours, in my view. It's going to drive a need to get that resource overhead, those day-to-day -day running costs down um, in a way that we maybe haven't seen before. There's going to be that drive to remove legacy and those things that really eat away at the budget. You know, it's going to be about optimization and efficiency for me over the year ahead. So do you, just to add, add to that, Aaron, and, and get your view and maybe Charlotte's view as well. So what we tend to see is when there are pressure points on the, the government purse in the past, and if you think about um, the, the, the years of austerity when they first came in, and we may even touch on it in the first podcast when we spoke about this, do you think that this will lead to <clears throat> further innovation, that the government, my, government and government departments will try and innovate their way out of this and sort of streamline and automate their ways out of, out of this to help save money? I think you're absolutely right there. I think automation, innovation is definitely, definitely the way. It's really the only way if we think about it. You know, we're if we're brutally honest, we're not in a situation where you can save government money in the ways that we used to be able to save them. You know, in the past, it would have been, um, you know, cutting out of processes. Well, we did that, as you rightly said, during austerity. Right. Everybody's cut that down to the quick very quickly. We can't fall back on the likes of headcount reduction because, you know, we're in a horrible employment mess as it is. That is not a politically sensible thing to do or a morally sensible thing to do. So really, what are you left with? You're left with where is the ship still leaky? Where are we still hemorrhaging money we don't need to? And where can things like technology actually cut those overheads massively? Um, and for me, all roads lead to optimization, efficiency. Um, and what's good to see is that the spending review does reference that. It talks about maybe not as directly um, um, finger pointing as it should, but it talks heavily on public this concept of public value, right, and driving the best outcomes for the public purse. Yeah, and, and Keith, I guess guess to add to that, you know, we've we've seen, you know, at a cabinet office level, very much the focus around, you know, automation initiatives, and you know, we, we've heard Alex Chisholm talking about legacy debt and obviously trying to reduce that. I think the reality of it is, there's been lots of great conversations that have happened on those topics, you know, over the over the past few years, right? But actually, we're now at a point where we'll see these actually taking shape and we'll actually see you know public sector entities having to leverage and really having to drive these and, and cabinet office ultimately having to support those initiatives through to really help all of the various entities um, be as successful as they can do with the budgets that they've been given. It's, it's almost a direct catalyst isn't it for that um, you know the, the, yeah, the absolutely. They're, they're having right now okay. Great, thank thanks for that, um, guys. It's quite it's quite interesting to to hear some of those points. So, you know, Aaron, you t you touched again on you know COVID and and the kind of the short term impact. But what what long term impact, guys, do we think COVID is going to have on on public spending? Well, I think you've you've got a couple of different elements to it. Uh, you you've still got the uncertainty, obviously, of you know how long is this going to go on for. Yeah, you know, and there's still a bit around, you know, rates of vaccinations. When will we re reach this sort of equilibrium point where, you know, the world can start to return to normal or not? You know, is it going to be this this magic April number? Is it going to be vastly beyond that? We don't know. Um, but you're going to end up with all sorts of questions around, you know, will there ever be a return to the old world, and especially for public services? Public services, you know, early on in lockdown, there was quite a drive to get back 
to the old world. There's this concept of, you know, is it forward with the new normal and into a digital utopia, or is it a rush to get this back to normal concept where we all, you know, we're pretty much back in our offices again, it's back to the world. So there's still a huge question for me over what that will look like. You know, will the future of public service become a more digital experience? And what processes the government need to get in place to make that really work? You know, particularly around concepts like the citizen identity. You know, that's an obvious starting point, but it's one that's never been popular here in the UK. The idea of government having a an identity that is you um, has never gone down that well, which is quite odds with we'll all happily create a Facebook, Twitter account and, and put our identity and our personal details out there. But the idea of the government having all that has never been particularly uh, well received. So there are a couple of building blocks that the government needs to overcome, I think, to get its, its sort of digital utopia of the future. Um, and it's interesting to see, you know, in the last couple of days, we've got some new appointments high up within government digital um, some new chief digital officer roles, you know, were announced yesterday by Alex Chisholm. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how much they're going to be aligned to, you know, manufacturing a, a digital utopia and a COVID response. What's also quite cool is um, the cabinet officer currently um, spearheading the new procurement rules and regs that are going to come into force later in the year following Brexit. And a huge part of that is going to be around the social value pillars that they've put in. Um, one of those specific pillars is around COVID response. So it, it's going to actually challenge government departments in their thinking around what do they actually need to achieve in, in a post-COVID recovery. Um, and I think as that is shaped more and formed, that's going to become a really interesting area of focus for us all in the tech world. OK, that's really, I've probably got two two views there in relation to that question, um, Johnny, and one just following on from Aaron in relation to the social value piece. Yeah, we, we, we had seen that creeping in over the last few years anyhow, but it has very much accelerated um, now. Aaron's absolutely right there. And I think you know, we deal with an awful lot of local authorities. And what we have seen over the last few months, especially, is those local authorities starting to think about what their social value looks like in a more sort of precise way. They're, 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 there's a lot of pressure on them to act as sort of regional support hubs for um, struggling businesses, third sector organisations that are struggling. Um, and to provide um, direct support to them. We, we have local authorities asking us how we can support these organisations with technology. And we're starting to see those sorts of questions and requirements going into sort of RFPs or, or tenders that are being issued. So that that's really interesting. I, I suppose the, the other view I'd have regarding sort of um, Gov Digital and COVID um, recovery is, you know, the, the focus, and I know we did touch on this last time, is, is the focus on skills you know, one, one of the ways that, 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 that money can be saved and it, it benefits the whole country is, is, is to get people back into, in, into work. And it's been a torrid time for so many people over the, over the last year um, that, yes, I perhaps don't necessarily agree with the way the government may necessarily advertise some of their, their digital skills um, initiatives. But the, what is out there and, and again, with the, what Microsoft are doing in, in the relation to the digital skills place to help people get back into work I think is really important and I, I, one particular local authority I work with in fact I can think of two where they are they are concerned about unemployment in their region and they both of them have um, uh, put their stake in the ground saying they want to be digital citizens of the future you know, the resources that are now available to help their citizens are, are invaluable um, so I think it's, it's sort of a multi-pronged approach to try and support what recovery across the UK will look like. 
Okay, so we, we touched on on some of the sort of technology areas, you know, what the role that technology has to play in all of this. But if I can be more specific, you know, can we give some examples of the types of innovative solutions that we will start to see playing a part um, within within the public sector to, to aid with the recovery? For me, one of the bits I was looking forward to most is there's a, now a, an area per department in there around um, social value and public value statements that, that basically each organization has to have this three to five statements by which they're going to validate the success of the organization um so it can be you know we're going to you know provide in case of hmrc you know a, a great tax system that's going to drive x y and z um one thing sadly that was missing from those statements is is the metrics by which success is going to be judged but it was just deemed that it was too late in the day to get those in, in in time for publication. So that is something to watch for over the next the metrics for the social value statements. But that said, where this is going to drive the civil service is to be much more outcomes focused than it's ever been before, as in tangible outcomes of success. And it's something we, we kind of never did within the civil service, really having a, a number that, that quantified that success. For me, it opens a door that when I was certainly that side, we never could open around productivity and successful big business outcomes at both a, a business level and a personal level as well. Um, because as soon as you started to talk about personal productivity in the civil service, it always then got flipped into a negative connotation of performance management, as in I'm going to be performance management managed out. So for me, one of the exciting areas that, that we're talking to government vastly more than we ever were before is around things like workplace analytics, you know, is looking at personal success versus organisational success. Um, and there's been a, a lot of government departments that are very quickly um, getting up to speed on this. I mean, there's some really good innovators in terms of using workplace analytics to, to drive forward those personal success. Department of Bays, for example, you know, they're guys that are absolutely all over how they measure you know, staffing outcomes aligned to business outcomes, not only in a work sense, but also in a well-being sense. So I think we're going to see a lot more of that. We're going to see a lot more metrics based thinking. We're going to see a lot more use of um, larger scale um, innovation in business analytics tools um, for me. So I, I can see almost a year of outcome based thinking in a way that we've not seen it before. Yeah, and I think to, to add to that, Johnny, we're, we're see, starting to see, and um, we've seen this really um, off, off the wave of COVID, um, but I think this is just accelerating more, and I think we'll we'll continue to see this due to the spending review. But, um, you know, one of the government's key initiatives is the digital channel shift, which is really around, you know, low code, no code. And, and what that means, I guess, from a Microsoft technology perspective is those, you know, power apps and power platforms. And we're certainly seeing a huge ramp up and uptake of that particular technology because it's quick, you know, it's, it's quick to deploy. It's very little touch point in, you know, internally and it solves the business problem for them quickly. So we're certainly expecting to see far more, um, you know, power apps, automate, power automate, uh, you know, around how that can support businesses. Yeah, I think automation is is a, a big thing, especially through central gov. I know that's a, a conversation that, that comes up time and time again and I think just going back to Aaron's point you're absolutely right from a productivity point of view 
unlocking productivity should not be perceived as a negative it's a positive right you're you're, you're, yeah. you're enhancing and I, I think you know you, you can even go further in i know you're a big advocate of it in, in relation to accessibility that's just been fantastic to see the way that the accessibility features across all you know all technology and especially the, the microsoft stack um empowers individuals and we shouldn't we shouldn't be lost on that um the the other thing I, i'm interested to see and i'd, I'd like your views on really is in, in the spending review there was a touch on or there was certainly a part around sustainability and obviously sustainability is um for, for, for me in, as a as a technology um industry person very much makes me think around cloud and the 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 increase maybe acceleration of of government to cloud is is that your view as well yeah and I, I, again I, I think that's that was an area of spending view i was really proud to see, pleased to see it get mentioned um did it go far enough in in sort of pushing it as an agenda do you know what i was really hoping for a, a large set segment on sustainability that really said sustainability means this to the government and this is how we're going to take it forward um that wasn't there so for me it's, it's an area that we can really help um our customers across government both local and central, is shape their thinking around and help them understand a bit more around what it means. Um, so we ran a roundtable um, at the start of December um, with some sustainability leads from across government with some great speakers from DEFRA and Bayes, um, talking about what sustainability means to them um, and how they're taking it forward individually. I think it's an area that's there to be shaped because some government departments still view sustainability about, well, I administer, you know, uh pensions or, or tax or whatever what's the relevance there to me as an organization and i think that needs we need to help them shape what it means sustainability is a really broad subject that is, mm. has its environmental connotations but it also has its technology connotations as well um so that's something i, I think you know we as responsible vendors can actually help um our customers take forward it's something that i think the private sector has wrestled with already and already has some quite solid you know planning around you know getting to net zero re, you know reducing our waste not only in terms of physical waste but energy waste you know building management building optimization elements like that that are, are still very early days um, for the public sector it's really interesting Aaron some of some of the points that you raised there so I'm looking at the time and I'm looking at my next question and it has the word Brexit in it <laughs> so, so I, I will ask it but I, I'll, I'll ask you all to be as succinct as you can be uh, just just for the, the benefit of time guys so now that we've secured a deal with Europe how will Brexit affect public spending moving forwards? I, I think a lot of that is to be continued I think a lot of the the actual true hidden impact of Brexit is not really upon us yet. I think there's going to be have to be either more spending within the public sector to um, fix and replace the services that we'll lose coming out of Europe. Problem is, a lot of those services we're still using and can use for a bit longer yet. They're not just literally cut overnight. So I think there's going to be some investigation into actually how many of those do we need to directly replace? Or secretly behind the curtain, how many of them can we actually pay Europe to keep? So I think there's some, there's some com a lot more around the true impact of Brexit that hasn't actually yet been uncovered. Just to add to that, I mean, 
again, I've, I've, I'm, I've not gone as deep as Aaron would have done in the spender review. There, there was, I saw some references in the spender review, as Aaron alluded to, saying that the, the, the government would look to replicate sort of lost funds here and there. But, and I might be wrong, Aaron, there's also, and I'm interested in your view on this, there's an, the, 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 one of the government buzzwords across that, that spender review is levelling up. And I don't know whether I'd like your view on what how you see that in this sort of connotation, because I, I don't know whether it's a case that it's a it is generally a buzzword. It talks about you know investment in infrastructure. Is this is this posturing around coming out of Brexit and how much better we're going to be, or is it genuinely the case that there 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 is going to be post Brexit funds to try and drive this? Yeah, I, I mean, I I would love to be the guy to say to you, I think it's all. 100% genuine and there's a load of money to throw at this. The The problem was with, with kind of the levelling up pieces that appeared in the spending review, if you look back at it and go back with it at it with a fine tooth comb, there's a lot of promises with not many numbers attached to them. It's right. the bit it gets quite flaky quite quickly. So there, there are elements within the spending review where there's a definitive number where it says X billion is going to go into, let's say, R&D around carbon reduction and the UK will become a global leader in solving the carbon crisis. That's real. There are tangible investments and there are companies lined up to deliver this. Brilliant. Great. There's a whole load of stuff, though, around further investments, make us great and increasing these sort of industries here, there and everywhere. But there's no numbers and there's no real plan that is demonstrated within the spending review. So I think a lot of that is you know, ambition, let's kindly say. I was Little about to say that. It's more it's more ambition, isn't it, rather than yeah. voting against it right now. Exactly. And I'm always a bit of a worrier when there aren't metrics and numbers associated to something. <laughs> then it does just feel a bit not real. If there's not a name and there's not a number, then mm, we shall see. I suppose the other thing, and what might be quite good, Charlotte, is, is in, in some of the questions we've, we've touched on today, it, are, they, are they the sort of points that your customers are talking to you about? Yeah, absolutely. And in all honesty, Keith, I think some of the points they we haven't started to have some of those conversations yet because actually, you know, I think it, you know, Aaron mentioned this at the very beginning when he was running through the spending review. They're still digesting some of the information and waiting for further detail. Yeah. Um, to really kind of fully understand actually what what the situation is come the you know come April for them, and what that really means and how they can progress forward. So, um, and and I think you know Aaron took the words out of my mouth from the Brexit perspective, which is I don't think we know yet what the impact is because you know the the deal obviously happened so last minute that you know the entities that needed to be prepared absolutely were but then what's kind of the the aftermath of that i think we're still work, working through that and, and ultimately i think that's what the government are probably still working through so i think we're starting to see some of these topics being raised certainly you know and, and we've spoken about it multiple times on, on the call skills automation absolutely they're the topics that we're regularly having with our customers but actually starting to, to move these into more tangible conversations i think we're probably another month or so away um from that just yet with them just kind of still digesting the information that they've received no i'd agree absolutely great guys well i think that's about it for for time today but you know i'm really glad that we all got back together again to 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 to, to look at the the spending review and, and further the the conversation from 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 our last series of podcasts so have you all in, enjoyed your time on, on pod with me today? Definitely, Johnny. It's great to be back. Thank yeah, you. Good. Really, good. really good. Yeah. Thanks for having us, Johnny. Good. And as always, you, you're always welcome back. So 
I think that's about it for time today. Uh, but we did get some really good content there. Um, and you know, thank you, thank you for all for all uh, joining me on pod today. So that's it for this episode, guys. Thanks for listening, and we hope you found it of use. Please get in touch if you want to discuss any of the points further. And if you want to support what we do, please share and subscribe. And we'll see you in the next episode of Pod. Thank you.